just heard Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. What qualifications do you need in order to be used by God? What, what are the things, what does your life need to look like? What do you need to do uh, first before you can be used by God? Because all of us probably have a, a list of things. Or before, before we can uh, really come to, to Jesus, before we can be saved first and before we can be used by God, we all think of a certain list of things. Like, oh, I need to clean this up first. Uh, I need to study the Bible more. I need, I need more knowledge. Uh, I need to get rid of this stuff that's in my life first before I come to Jesus and before God can use me. I think we all probably have some level of mindset like that when it comes to uh, us being used by God or us even coming to Jesus to be saved in the first place. We all think, well, I need, to, I need to clean this up first or I need to do these set of things first, these qualifications. Like we think we have to believe a certain, you know, uh, act a certain way, check certain behavioral boxes. Um, and I ask these questions and I pose this because what we see in our text today, I believe, is this. And this is the idea of the sermon. So that Jesus saves and uses normal people, despite their circumstances, education, and background, to see people saved. Jesus saves and uses normal people, normal people, like you and I, despite our past, despite our circumstances, despite our education, despite our background, despite what, what has happened to us in the past, Jesus is still choosing and wants to use us, normal people, to see his purposes go forward, to see people saved. And remember, we're walking through the book of Acts, and what we've said every week is that the book of Acts is um, what Jesus is continuing to do in the world, how he's continuing to work by his Spirit through his disciples, through his people. And so what we see uh, the disciples doing as they are continuing to spread the gospel, as they're continuing to minister in Jesus' name, is really just the continuation of Jesus' ministry. And what we learn here from this text, and that is very good news for you and I, is that messed up sinners, people that are broken, that have terrible things in their past, that uh, might not have a certain level of qualifications or education, uh, these are the very types of people that Jesus came to save and that Jesus wants to use to advance his purposes in this world. Isn't that good news for us today? And the first aspect I want to look at, are the circumstances of this event. Remember we're saying Jesus chooses to save and use people despite the circumstances, despite their circumstances. This is what we see with Peter and John and, and these first disciples here, that they have some unfortunate circumstances that they're in, yet Jesus continues to work because the plans and the purposes of God will not be thwarted despite the circumstances. And here in Acts 4, uh, at the very beginning, this is seen you know, in, in the Bible. This is the first act of persecution against the church, we might say. This is the first time uh, that uh, people are, are persecuted, they're, they're, um, they're treated poorly for their faith in Jesus. They're treated poorly for being Christians. It's the first uh, in, uh, aspect or the first incidence of persecution. We see this in the beginning. The Sadducees, the priests, the captain of the temple, who we might call the religious elite, they were annoyed at these people for basically being Christians. For believing that Jesus rose from the dead and telling others that he rose from the dead. For being Christians, they are persecuted. They're thrown in jail over the night. Okay? They're placed in custody. For what? For, for having faith in Jesus and for telling others about him. For being Christians, these people are, are thrown into jail uh, that night. Now, this is a, not a rhetorical question, 
because Peter and John are thrown into jail, are the purposes and the promises of God suddenly put on hold? Of course not. You see, what, what uh, those in custody, what, when they threw them in custody, when they threw them in jail, they also thought that they were throwing their teaching in jail. But that's actually not what we see happen. And this is exactly how Luke frames it. In verse 3, he says, They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Okay, that's what we see in verse 3. So they're thinking, all right, we're throwing these guys in jail because they're causing a problem. They're, they're telling people about what Jesus has done, how he rose from the dead. We don't like that. Let's throw them in jail. And what they're assuming is when they put them in custody, they were also somehow locking up their teaching. Except Luke then tells us in the next verse, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to 5,000. It says, um, John Stott put it, they could arrest the apostles, but not the gospel. So they're going to they're gonna continue, uh, just because these people are locked up, just because of their circumstances are such that, um, that they, they are being uh, persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, the, the good news of the gospel, and seeing people come to know Jesus, and the gospel spreading uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, like Acts 1-8 says, is going to happen, uh, the purposes and the promises of God are not thwarted, even though the circumstances are not great. And this is the first of a pattern that we actually see over and over and over again throughout the rest of human history from this moment on until even today's world. This is a, a pattern that we see happening, that when persecution arises, when, the, when the, uh, the heat of persecution turns up, the flame of the gospel shines brighter. We see this over and over again, and this is an example of what happens here, and we continue to see it. Church history is fascinating, and it teaches us a lot. Did you know that on June 18th, 64, yes, 64, like 64, not 1968, no, all the way back to 64, there was a giant fire in the city of Rome. Nero was the emperor at the time. He'd been in power for about 10 years. Uh, the people don't really like him. A fire breaks out and burns down 10 of the 14 sections of the city of Rome. Um, a rumor breaks out because people don't really like Nero. He hasn't really been a great emperor for the past 10 years. A rumor breaks out that Nero actually started the fire himself because he wanted to build back the city according to his own liking. Uh, people thought that Nero was crazy. He probably actually was. Uh, but this was the rumor. And uh, in order to kind of squash this rumor, something happened. And um, Nero ends up blaming it. Um, two of the four uh, provinces of the city, two of the four sections that weren't born, uh, burned out of the 14, had a, a high concentration of Christians. And so he said, uh, he just completely made up a story and said, the Christians burned down the city. And this begins the first widespread persecution of Christianity uh, in the Roman Empire and of the world at that time. And so what happens? Uh, the old blame it on the Christians act uh, started here. And so he blames it on the Christians and there, there begins a, a, a massive persecution. And there's a, there's a Roman historian named Tacitus that recorded this. Uh, this is what he says of Nero. It says, in order to destroy this rumor, Nero blamed the Christians who are hated for their abominations and punished them with refined cruelty. First, those who confessed that they were Christians were arrested, and on the basis of their testimony, a great number were condemned, although not so much for the fire itself as for their hatred of humankind. Okay? So this Roman historian is actually recording that Christians were hated, 
and, uh, and they, were, um, they were not liked at the time for their abominations against humankind. So this is kind of weird. We have, to, we have to figure out what's going on here. So Nero makes up this, this rumor that Christians started the fire, and he starts killing them for no reason whatsoever. And this historian at the time says that he's, he's doing this, yes, to, because he made it up. But also he's saying it's because Christians are not well-liked. Well, we have to realize at that time in Roman culture, uh, the theater, the literature at the time, the sports at the time, everything around Roman culture was tied up with pagan worship. You know Roman, you know, mythology at the time, what all the, the crazy stuff that Romans believe, all this pagan worship, they worshiped idols, right? Everything was tied into pagan worship. And so Christians then, having uh, no God but, but Jesus, uh, they do not engage in the rest of the culture's crazy pagan worship. They're, they uh, decide to refrain from being a part of the culture at the time because it was so, uh, so crazy, so bad, and there was so uh, anti uh, the, the law of God that they decide to step back. And the people, the Romans at that time, interpreted that as the, the Christians, they hate us. Because they're not willing to do what we do, uh, they hate us. There's abominations. They, they hate mankind. And so then Christians are persecuted and uh, end up, this is, I mean, crazy. Uh, they're, you know, fed to lie. I mean, all this crazy stuff happens um, as they are, they begin persecution. Incredible persecution. It's likely that Peter and Paul were martyred during this time. So persecution arises, yet the gospel continues to spread forth. And I thought it was an interesting parallel there uh, between, at that time, Christians choosing to not, um, to not engage in pagan worship, to not do what the rest of the culture does. They interpreted that as they hate us. I thought it was interesting uh, that we actually are maybe starting to see glimpses of this in our culture today. Now, here in the United States, uh, we are under no threat of real persecution. Religious and liberty is enshrined in our Constitution. I, I'm not worried about us undergoing massive persecution, but the question still remains the same. How are we going to advance in a culture that does not uh, celebrate the things that Christians believe? Um, you know, what the Bible teaches is uh, against much of what culture at large uh, would agree with, you know, with anything from, you know, LGBTQ uh, areas, any of that kind of stuff. So how, how do we advance as Christians in a culture uh, like this, where it might be not, uh, not to our social advantage uh, to, to believe and to engage in the way that the culture has? I want to answer that in just a little bit. Persecution, though. It continued in the, in the early years, and uh, we, we see this persecution, and uh, Polycarp was another guy uh, that, that, under, that was going to be martyred, and here's what he prayed out loud. Lord, sovereign God, I thank you that you have deemed me worthy of this moment, so that jointly with your martyrs I may share in the cup of Christ, and for this I bless you and glorify you. Amen. As he was going to uh, be martyred for the faith, this is what this man prays. And the story goes on and on and on and on throughout the rest of history, even to today, where Christians are undergoing persecution in China and, and India, elsewhere throughout the world. Um, the more there is persecution, the more the gospel spreads. And that's what I want to say, that despite circumstances, despite where our culture may sit, uh, despite what, um, you know, the, the persecution that we may or may not, the challenges and the situation that we may or may not face in this world, um, the flame of the gospel is going to continue to be spread as we remain faithful to following Jesus and telling others about him. 
Because Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you uh, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. I mean, this is what Jesus says is going to happen. When the church is persecuted is when it is blessed. And Jesus said that we can rejoice and be glad in the persecution. This is all over the New Testament. And in Revelation, we see that Christians conquer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Now, again, our circumstances right now such that we are not being persecuted. But it seems as our world becomes more polarized politically and otherwise... It's going to be more and more difficult to believe the things that Christians believe and to maintain a faithful witness. I saw this quote this week by a guy named Mark Sayers, who's an insightful Christian commentator. He said this, When they enter a pre-Christian culture, the danger is Christians colonizing the culture. And when in a post-Christian culture, the danger is Christians getting colonized by secular culture. So the danger is when the, the... the culture is, uh, before it becomes Christian, uh, the danger is us kind of making it what, what we want it to and colonizing it and, and Christianity kind of being the, the thing that happens. And then what happens is there's nominal Christianity that rises. Except now in a post-Christian culture, the danger is that we would look more like the culture than we would uh, look like Christians. So that's the danger for us. So how do we go on then? How do we maintain a faithful witness despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in? Because that's what we're talking about, the circumstances. So back to the question. What do we do in a culture where what we believe is maybe not the majority? Do we wage culture wars and let our political pundits and, uh, and uh, our political candidates fight for us? The culture wars, wage the war, get out your sword and, and go get them? Is that the way of Jesus? Or... Do we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and love not our lives even unto death? Because that's the way of Jesus and that's the biblical way that we're called to. And that's how the gospel is going to flourish. How, how, is, how, is, how is the good news of what Jesus is going, going to continue to spread throughout the world? It's going to look like Christians, like me and you, normal people, um, loving not our own lives, loving others self-sacrificially, being willing to engage in, in uh, real, loving, gentle, graceful conversations and, and telling others about what Jesus has done. That's how the gospel is going to continue to spread. Not by waging culture wars and, you know, whatever. looks like having real-life conversations about these things that we might disagree with with the rest of the world. And it probably looks like not fighting with people on social media and consuming too much cable news. Probably. I don't know. I don't know. That's just, what I'm, that's just what I think. Probably not fighting with people on social media as well. Now, I've said all this to talk about our circumstances. Because despite our circumstances, despite what the world around us looks like, despite what we're facing in our own personal lives or culture as a whole, Jesus is still continuing to save and to use people, normal people like you and I, to see his plan go forth. Jesus is going to use us regardless of our circumstances, whether we're in the majority or the minority to see people saved because God's purposes will not be thwarted. And my prayer is that it wouldn't take persecution and difficulty uh, for us to have an urgency about having these kind of self-sacrificial, loving conversations in the way of Jesus and sharing the gospel with people in order for us to have some urgency about what's going on. So what are your circumstances? What are, what are you going through right now? What is, your, what is your situation that might you feel like hinder you, you know? Um, are you in a hospital bed going through difficulties? Are you a stay-at-home mom 
in a difficult situation at work, whatever you are, wherever you are, despite your circumstances, Jesus wants to use you to see his kingdom and his gospel continue to spread. He wants to use you, despite your circumstances, despite your past, to see people come to know him and love him and find true satisfaction in this life. Because we know, those who have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord and what Jesus has done, we know that there's really true satisfaction is found nowhere else other than in Jesus. Um, Now, again, this text, as we kind of move on, this text helps us revisit also how one is saved. Look at verse 12 again with me. Um, This is a famous verse, you probably know it. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, we live in what's known as a pluralistic society, you know, here in the United States. People can believe what they want to believe. Uh, and, and that is well within their prerogative and legality to believe what they want to believe. But the danger for us, again, is to go along with this and think that, oh yeah, people can take a little bit of this, and you can take a little bit of this religion, there's a little bit of good in all of them, and you can kind of cobble something together that maybe looks vaguely Christian, and that would be okay. Except that's not what the Scripture's teaching us here, is it? That won't do for us to be okay with some conglomeration of other faiths and, and kind of put, put stuff together and be okay with it. As nice as it sounds to say things like, oh, I think we're all going to get there in the end, or, uh, you know, every, every religion has a little bit of piece of the truth, I think. That sounds really nice to our uh, cultural ears right now, except it's not what the Bible teaches. Now, we may then the argument may be, well, that sounds, you know, that's hateful and bigoted to say that Jesus is the only way. Except that um, the story of what Jesus has done, the Christian faith, there's really nothing else like it. The fact that, that the, the very creator God would actually then enter into his own creation and lay down his own life for his people, that's a story unlike any other. That is such a, a unique uh, reality when it comes to the Christian story that there really can be salvation in no other name other than the name of Jesus. So we must believe that and live that out. Because um, according to the Bible, man is not born into a state of neutrality. You are not born on a level playing field able able to pick and choose the good. That's not how the Bible uh, frames humanity. It says that we've inherited sin from our first parents, Adam and Eve, and therefore we are born in in a state of rebellion against God. And we actually, by nature, we hate God. And so what we need to do is to be rescued. We need a redeemer to restore us back into relationship with God, and we have that in Jesus. Jesus, truly God and truly man, he bridges the gap. He forgives our sins, and he makes us right with God. As the um, Confessions of Faith say it like this, Jesus, the redeemer, was truly human, so he could perfectly obey the law and suffer the punishment of human sin. But he was also truly God, so that because of his divine nature, his obedient suffering would be perfect and effective. And Jesus died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. That's the Savior that we have in Jesus, truly God, truly human, able to pay the penalty for our sin and make us right, restore our relationship with God. Only he could do it. And therefore, there is salvation in no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved as the name of Jesus. It is his name only. And again, there's no other religion, there's no other system of belief like it. That the creator, God himself, would enter into his own creation to suffer with us, to experience what we experience, 
and then to take the penalty of our sin to the cross and defeat it by raising from the grave. Trust him, believe in him alone to be saved. And that's a testimony that we've seen even today from Rebecca, trusting in Jesus alone to save. And that's the message that we proclaim. And lastly, remember, Jesus wants to use you despite circumstances and despite education or your background. Despite your past and what's gone on in your life previously, Jesus still wants to save and to use you. And some of us think that we've messed up too much in the past. Oh no, Jesus can never forgive me. Uh, And that actually couldn't be further from the truth. (laughs) Because it is actually in our most sinful, broken states, when we are at our lowest, feeling our worst, is actually when Jesus um, wants to draw nearest to us. Now again, our, our natural human tendency would think, if I've messed up, I need to stay away. But actually, Jesus draws near in the midst of our brokenness and sinfulness. And this is such good news for us. Because Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He is gentle and lowly towards sinners. And this is the good news. So if you ever feel like you don't know enough to be useful in the kingdom of God, like I don't have enough knowledge yet, or um, the reality is all you need to know is Jesus saved me, you know. You'll say, I once was, I once was blind, now I see. That, that, is the, that is simply all you need to know in order to be effective uh, in the kingdom of God. Once was blind, now I see. You know enough. And if, you've ever, if you ever feel like you don't have enough status in order to be used by God, it might be easy for us to think that, oh, only the, uh, only the people with large platforms on social media, only a certain level of followers can really make a difference in the kingdom of God. That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus uses normal people, common men to change the world. That's what we see. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They didn't go to the rabbinical schools, you know. They didn't go to the seminaries of that time. And they weren't from, uh, they weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from the posh city at the time either. They were from the backwoods. They were from the country. They were from the Ulaga, Oklahomas of the world. That's where I'm from, by the way. And, and it is from these places with uneducated, normal folk that Jesus actually chooses to use them to change the world. Later on, Acts 16 reports, these men have turned the world upside down. These people, what? These normal people, uneducated, common folk, Jesus wants and chooses to use you. Do you fall into that category? Are you a normal person today? Good. Welcome to to effective ministry in the kingdom of God. Welcome. You you can be used by Jesus, and he's actually calling you to it today. Unbelievable, I know, but believe it. The world has changed, truly changed, by uneducated common men and women who have been with Jesus. Because that's what what they end up saying, isn't it? Um, The rest of verse 13, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's all, that's all you need to know. If, if, you've, if you have been saved, if you have been with Jesus, if you've trusted in him to save you by faith, that's it. That trumps all of, your, all of your background, all of the sin in your past, all the brokenness that you've gone through, all of your lack of education, your lack of experience, your lack of a platform, doesn't matter. Has your life been changed by Jesus? Welcome. 
you know, if somebody or something saved your life, um, I bet we would continually tell the story, right? If you've ever had a, a life-saving experience, uh, it's a story that we want to tell over and over again. And this is the, the type of story and the type of urgency that we need to have when it comes to what Jesus has done for us. You know, sometimes we can be a little humdrum in our lives about what Jesus has done. Like we kind of get, you know, eventually we get over the gospel, unfortunately. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day. No, 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 no. We've got it wrong if that's our attitude. Um, because we need to pray like, uh, like David does. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Like we need to, we need to uh, be the types of Christians that wake up and remind ourselves every single day, oh, my gosh, Jesus has saved me, and he wants to use me today for massive eternal life purposes. Now, that might look like just getting up, getting your kids breakfast, getting them off to school, going to work, and uh, having conversations throughout the day that point people to Jesus, talk about Jesus, love your kids well, be a good neighbor, come home, say hi on your way, maybe have a conversation, get your kids ready to bed. Read the Bible with them, pray with them, and then you do it all over again. That, that, was, an eternally, that, was, a, that was an eternal impact day that you just had by simple faithfulness of following Jesus. Don't, don't get it twisted. Your, your everyday life, Jesus wants to use it and uh, use you to see people come to know him and to see the world changed one by one. Despite your circumstances, despite your past, despite your lack of education, and despite your lack of pedigree or where you're from, Jesus is choosing to use you to make a difference in the world. So may we not be humdrum about what, what God has done, but may we wake up every morning with an, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. <laughs> Jesus really did save me. He really is giving me new mercies today for me to, to go and live in light of that. It's unbelievable. And then we live out of this reality. We live out of this um, security we have in Christ to then go make a difference in the world. So may it be so of us. We're going to um, respond in, uh, in just a moment, and uh, there might be several ways that, um, that, that we might need to respond today based off of, off of the word. And um, I want you to kind of just where you are, kind of think, uh, are there areas in my life where maybe I, I feel like uh, have been holding, like I've been holding on to this thing and it's kind of, it's not allowing me to, to be used by God. Maybe it's a sin in your life, something, some, a hurdle that you can't really get over and you feel like, no, I can't, I can't actually really pursue Jesus. I can't really be effective in the kingdom until I get rid of this. Well, maybe today is the day to get rid of that. Repentance, turn away from it. Receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and then allow him to use you to make a difference in the world. And for any of us that might feel like we don't know enough or uh, there's too much in our past or uh, we don't have enough influence where we are, uh, if you ever feel any of those things, I pray that today you would, you would turn away from that, repent of that thinking and say, no, no, no. Um, I really do believe this, that Jesus wants to use me to make a difference in this world. And then maybe as we kind of wrap up then, uh, maybe we need to pray and, and reflect and think about where are areas of our lives where God wants to use us, where God wants us to make a difference in our 
neighbor's lives, at work, whatever it may be, because Jesus does want to use us to see the gospel spread to the ends of the earth, despite our circumstances. And then finally, if there's anybody here that has never trusted in Jesus to save, that doesn't have a testimony like Rebecca does, uh, that, that hasn't said, Jesus, I, I, I trust you to save and you alone. I pray that today would be that day. It would be that moment where you would say, okay, yes. The Christian story, the fact that the creator would, would himself come and, and pay for my debt that I owe, I felt like there's something wrong within me. There's turmoil within me. I know that there's something. Uh, I pray that today you would trust in Jesus alone to save. And that's, that's the call of the scripture because there is salvation in no other name other than in Jesus. And it is only in him that true satisfaction is found.
We hope you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.